For years, liberals have told us we need to listen to the children. And I've always been a little skeptical of that advice since children as a rule are ignorant and irrational. Today, however, as our ruling class is now more ignorant and irrational still, I'd have to say that the kids are all right, especially the kids of Marshall Simons Middle School in Burlington, Massachusetts. Intolerance and homophobia are unacceptable. This type of intolerant rhetoric starts in the home. Parents angry at town hall over intolerance at Marshall Simons Middle School. Kids were asked to wear rainbow clothes in honor of Pride Spirit Day, but some organized a counter protest wearing red, white, and blue or black. The principal sharing a statement to families that Pride posters were ripped down, stickers ripped up, some students chanted USA are my pronouns, <laughs> and students showing Pride were intimidated. It was an unruly disruption, in fact, that was organized ahead of time. While some parents were upset, others say it was overblown. Some of the kids threw the stickers on the ground, but you know, I can only speak for my daughter. She just, she didn't want to wear that to school. It's not that she wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. She says her daughter felt coerced to participate in the Pride event and was offended by some of the messages, like this quote from Tennessee Williams. Human heart cannot be straight. It is curves and winds. And my daughter just kind of said, you know, mom, that's, that's offensive to, to me, who I am straight. Yeah, that flag is offensive to all normal people. It is a symbol of pride, the deadliest of the seven deadly sins. It obviously has no place in a middle school classroom, and frankly, it should be banned from all public spaces because it's evil and degenerate and signifies an ideology that is contrary to truth, goodness, beauty, and reality. And it is an indictment of our political order that the warmed-over hippies and other deviants running our schools need to learn that lesson from 11-year-olds. That is very sad. But this pushback offers a glimmer of hope, especially because this incident did not take place in Tennessee, didn't take place in Texas. It took place in Burlington, Massachusetts, 12 miles outside of Boston. People have had enough, not just the stodgy old conservatives, the youths too, not just the red states, but in liberal towns, in bright blue counties, in reliably Democrat states. We may or may not already be too far gone. The government might be too unresponsive to the people. Only time will tell. But for what it's worth today, all evidence shows that the American people are becoming much more socially conservative. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Some other great news that we'll get to in a bit, which is that Transheiser Bush is getting absolutely destroyed because Bud Light sponsors transvestitism. It's even, it's even now hurting Garth Brooks and a honky-tonk in Nashville. We'll get to that in a little. First, though, Americans are becoming more socially conservative. This is not just wish casting. This is not just my extrapolating from one event at a middle school in Boston and saying that now, see, the conservative revolution is here. This is even according to Gallup. Gallup polling shows that the number of Americans who identify as socially conservative has reached the highest level since 2012. According to Gallup's values and beliefs survey, 38% of Americans identify as very conservative or conservative, which is up from just 33% last year. 
and it's up from 30% in 2021, and it's tied with the numbers from 2012. Now, this comes simultaneously as the number of Americans who identify as very liberal or liberal has dropped down to 29% from a 34% number last year. How does this break down according to age? Is it, is it just that the older people are becoming more socially conservative and the younger people are becoming more socially liberal, as a lot of the ruling class of both parties would have us believe? No. Social conservatism for Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 went up. It had a 6% increase over just the last two years. Ages 30 to 49 had a 13% increase. Ages 50 to 64 had an 11% increase. Americans over the age of 65 were the only age group that saw a decrease dropping from 43% to 42%. So it's not just that the older people are becoming more socially conservative. No, it's actually the, the boomers, the the echo of that hippie era that, that saw the upending of so much of American culture, they're the ones who are becoming less socially conservative, even though they are still, as, as a whole, more conservative than, than the younger group. But the movement is among the younger people. They're the ones who are becoming more socially conservative because they're seeing the chaos wrought by social liberalism. Sometimes you can see that chaos in your body. That's why you got to restore some balance to your body and some balance of nature. Right now, go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Knowles. Living a healthy lifestyle is not always easy, especially when you're always on the go. You need simple, manageable routines to make sure that you're getting the proper nutrition every day. That's why I'm a huge fan of balance of nature. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies are a great way to ensure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients daily. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that you can take at any time. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in whole fruits and vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of their products down to the studio for our team to try, and these jackals pounced on them like absolute hyenas. Of course, they're very good products. You should check them out too. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That is balanceofnature.com. Promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 35% off your first preferred order. Americans are as conservative today as they were back in 2012, which is fine, and it's a good start given how much more liberal the country had become since 2012. But if 2012 is the end point, then we might as well pack it in, guys. I do not want America to be as socially conservative as it was in 2012. I want our civilization to be as socially conservative as we were in 1220, okay? I don't, forget it. I don't even want the 1950s. I don't even want the 1880s. I want 1220. I think that would be a good spot to land at. I want, at the very least, I think we ought to be as conservative as we were before all the modern ideologies started corroding our civilization. Because that's been the big problem. The reason that a lot of people for a long time became more socially conservative, more open, more tolerant, is because they had the pillars of our civilization to rely upon. The church, the family, the productivity, the political order, the institutions, the system of law. We had all of that to rely upon. And so 
We were just, we were just leaning on that while we were indulging in an ideology that was eroding all of that. This is the thing about liberalism, is liberalism, including the old classical liberalism, it's just like an acid that you pour onto your civilization. And you, I don't know, maybe you like it. Maybe it's like a lysergic acid. You know, maybe it's like a drug or something. People kind of like this acid for a while, but it just starts to eat away at, at the thing upon which it must uh, rest. And then once it eats away, once it chips away at faith and family and patriotism and the political order and the law and all of that, then it just crashes and it, it starts to fall much more quickly. The, the, the collapse begins to accelerate as we're seeing all around us right now. We went within a period of about eight years from knowing what marriage is. You know, mar- marriage is a sacred union between a man and a woman, which is, has been for all of history. And even the Democrats admitted this 10 or some odd years ago to we need to pump little kids full of hormones and chop off their body parts and sterilize them and turn them into eunuchs because of progress. We went, we went very, very quickly from the former to the latter. Things begin to accelerate. And so you're seeing pushback. You're not just seeing pushback from some middle school kids in Massachusetts. You're seeing it from adults too. There is a great Detroit area community that has just met in their institutions of self-government and decided to ban the pride flag from public displays. This is Hamtrank, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Michigan. They just had an hours-long meeting and the city council decided they're going to ban the pride flag from public displays. And according to council member Naeem Chowdhury said, you guys are welcome, meaning you LGBT, LMNOP, pride pro-pride people, but why do you have to have the flag shown on government property to be represented? You're already represented. We already know who you are. (laughs) You're you're plenty visible, okay? I don't think you need to worry about visibility. Very, very strong, confident, clear-eyed statement from the council. Where did they get that from? Well, it's an all-Muslim council. That's a little wrinkle in here because you know that the libs are going to try to present this as white supremacy or the Christian theocrats or whatever. But it's not the Christians. It's the Muslims who are doing this. And thank goodness that the, the people on this board are Muslims rather than liberals because the liberals would enshrine the pride flag. They'd fly it from the portico of the White House. It's the Muslims who are saying, nah, pride is bad. Hey, aren't you guys supposed to be a Christian country? Christians, you know pride is bad, right? Pride is like the deadliest of the seven deadly sins. Yeah, we're not going to have that. Thank goodness. And, and what the Muslims here are doing is they're saying, look, we have a community. We have within a community in self-government, we have the right to standards and norms, and we're going to enforce it. And look, we want to be nice to all you people who are kind of a little eccentric sexually and have different sorts of identities, and we, we're going to represent you. But We don't need to fly your crazy flag everywhere in order for you to be represented. We're not going to tolerate that kind of an exaltation of your eccentric views and identities. We're just not going to do that. Good job. Good job, Muslims outside of Detroit. Christians, you know, we used to do this kind of thing too. We Christians used to have confidence in our beliefs. And we used to have the confidence in our beliefs that they were conducive to to the good of the individual and of society. And we used to, within our system of beliefs, tolerate 
differences and divergences of opinion, but within a broader culture that was Christian. It was resting upon our view, our metaphysical views, our views of the political order, our views of what is best for human life. I think the Christians need to take a lesson from the Detroit area Muslims here. They are much more sensible than the many, many Christian politicians who have been infected by liberalism. Some of them seem to have a terminal case of liberalism. And and so much so that they would celebrate the exaltation of the worst of the seven deadly sins in our culture, the consequence of which is not just a flag going up somewhere on, on a portico, the consequence of which is what that symbol represents, which is drag queen story hour, which is transing your kids, which is taking away girls' sports, which is taking away the women's bathroom. That's the consequence of all of that. Take a lesson from the Muslims, guys. Good grief. Maybe we can do it again. Maybe Christians are beginning to remember that we have beliefs, we should believe in our beliefs, and we should be confident to express them in public because religion is a public thing. The reason I say this is because Transheiser Bush is getting absolutely destroyed right now. Transheiser Bush thought that this boycott of their beer was going to last for approximately 72 hours. And so they said, okay, we're, we're going to let this go by and we're going to stick it out. We're going to give a lot of contradictory, confusing messaging here. And then once, it, once it's over, then we can keep investing in the pride parades and the drag shows and all the rest of it. No one's going to care. And Transheiser Bush's and specifically Bud Light's profits declined for a week and then another week and then another week and another week. And they're still down there in the gutter. Now, Bud Light has officially been overtaken as the number one beer in America by... Modelo. Modelo, which Modelo is owned by Transheiser Bush outside of North America. So it's the same company. But in North America, it's not. It's owned by Constellation Brands. And so what was an American brand, Budweiser, then sells out to the Belgians, becomes super lib. And now the number one beer in America is a Mexican brand, the Mexicans, they seem to still have a slightly better grasp on their religion. They seem to be a little bit more consciously Christian than the Americans are. And now they're the number one beer in America. Love it. Modelo Especial made up 8.4% of retail beer sales, while Bud Light made up just 7.3% of retail beer sales for the week ending June 3rd. Get me a sombrero. Get me a big silly mustache. Yo soy Mexicano today. Porque... No, no me gusta el prido. No me gusta el rainbow flago. <laughs> so someone, please, I know it's only eight o'clock here, but I would love to sip on a delicious Modelo and we should keep it up. And I think conservatives, this is the funniest thing of all because the conservatives are unfairly painted as racist and bigoted and Zena, whatever, whatever they say about us. It, it would be really, really funny if conservatives now just ditch Bud Light in favor of Modelo. Like that's the new official brand of the hardcore bleeding red, white, and blue American conservatives. I just think it's great. I think it's great because no one can defend Bud Light anymore. Transheiser Bush executives can't defend Bud Light. The only person who is still defending Bud Light is one of the few prominent liberals in country music. That would be Garth Brooks, who coincidentally is opening up a bar, a honky tonk here in Nashville, 
And a number of honky-tonks in Nashville are saying, we're not serving Bud Light anymore. Kid Rock's big-ass honky-tonk and rock and roll steakhouse, one of the greatest establishments in Nashville, has said, no way. Kid Rock just blasted away at Bud Light with his machine gun. Okay, so they don't serve it. John Rich's bar, John Rich has a phenomenal bar in Nashville, the Redneck Riviera. I was there not that long ago. They don't serve Bud Light. I was there with a liberal, and she asked to to purchase a Bud Light, and they they just sort of looked at her. Sorry, we don't do that here. But Garth Brooks says he's sticking with Bud Light. Diversity, inclusiveness, that's me. It's always been me. Uh, We got the same kind of thing on We Shall Be Free. Uh, People, you know, wanting to burn our stuff. And so I get it. Everybody's got their opinions. But inclusiveness is always going to be me. I think diversity is the answer to the problems that are here and the answer to the problems that are coming. So I love diversity, all included, so all are welcome. I understand that might not be other people's opinions, but that's okay, man. They have their opinions, they have their beliefs, I have mine. Um, Second thing, though, just let's talk about being a bar owner. I'm a bar owner now. Are we going to have the most popular beers in the thing? Yes. It's not our call if we don't or not. It's the patrons' call, the bosses, right? Bring them in there. If they don't want it, then I got to go to the distributor and say, hey, man, your stuff's not selling. And then the action gets taken, right? But the truth is, it's those people in those seats that make those decisions. And that's what Friends in Low Places is going to be. So here's the deal, man. If you want to come to Friends in Low Places, come in. Come in with love. Come in with tolerance, patience. Come in with an open mind. And uh, it's cool. No thanks. I don't think I'll do that. I'll I'll bring love and compassion everywhere I go, but I'm not going to go to friends in low places, the Garth Brooks liberal bar, the announcement that he's making in front of a rainbow flag. He says, look, my bar, it's all about diversity. I, I think diversity is the most important value. He, he, he forgot to say equity and inclusion, but it was implied. That's what I think, man. And look, I can't ban Bud Light from my bar. No, the patrons, they decide that. Okay, well, you're not going to have very many patrons if you keep up that attitude. You don't have any patrons yet. What do you mean you can't ban Bud Light from your bar? That is your decision to make. Plenty of other bars have made that decision. Kid Rock made that decision. John Rich made that decision. A very large number of Americans have already made that decision, which is destroying Transheiser Bush right now. And it's the reason it's no longer the number one beer in America. Oh, no, man, I can't. Come on, this is just about love and diversity. So Garth Brooks is, I think, pretty clearly a liberal. But a lot of squishy conservatives have have echoed this kind of rhetoric over the last 30, 40 years. Look, I'm not going to stand up for anything in the culture. I'm just going to let the market decide. All hail the market. Oh, great exalted market, we prostrate ourselves before thee. No, markets are good. We like markets. We like flourishing economies. That's really good stuff. But we don't have a nation to serve a market. We have a market for the benefit of the flourishing of our nation. Okay. And there are some things that are more important than money. There's some things that are more important than GDP ticking up a little bit, like family, like faith, like the political order, like the understanding of what man is and having anything in common whatsoever in our society. Sorry, no thanks, Garth. Don't th- I, it's not that I go down to the honky-tonks all that often, but when I go down, I don't think I'm going to go to the newest gay bar in, <laughs> in Nashville. Not even like the newest trans bar. I don't think so. I think I'll probably stick around the other bars in, uh, in Nashville for right now. Now, speaking of beverage companies, there's some great news that has come out of Starbucks. 
of all places. And there's great news on the pride front, but there's great news even on the racial identity politics front. And it's coming out of Starbucks, a company that I am, I, I feel now somewhat vindicated that I have defended tepidly over the years, which we'll get to in a second. But you know what another great company is? Carzing. Right now, head on over to carzing.com slash Knowles. Buying a new car can be a stressful experience for everyone, okay? Especially if you're a first-time buyer or if you have no credit. Before you walk into a dealership and spend the whole day with the crowds and the stress and the potential not even to find the right car, you need to check out Carzing. Carzing is completely changing the way you buy a car online. By partnering with credit agencies, lenders, and over 25,000 dealers nationwide, Carzing provides you with everything you need before stepping foot into a dealership. Once you find the right car at your ideal budget, all you have to do is bring your saved deal voucher with you to the dealership to finalize your next ride. It is so simple. Even if you're not in the market for a new car, you should check out Carzing anyway. Carzing's online window shopping experience goes beyond mere images. You dive deep into each vehicle's specifications, features, and performance capabilities. Zoom in on the craftsmanship of the interior. Marvel at the cutting-edge technology. Admire the meticulous attention to detail that sets these automobiles apart from the rest. Carzing makes your experience faster, cheaper, less stressful. Go to carzing.com slash Knowles. Find the best deals near you. Carzing.com slash Knowles. Starbucks has just gotten into trouble among the libs because allegedly it, it ordered its stores to get rid of all the rainbow merch during Pride Month. And it's a little unclear. Starbucks Corporation is denying that they did that, but the Starbucks union is saying that they did in fact do that and whatever. I hope they did that. Something I've long defended about Starbucks is one, it's a great corporation. They make much better coffee than people give them credit for. They've essentially installed bathrooms, public bathrooms into every major city in the world, which I really appreciate because previously it was very hard to find a bathroom if you were wandering around a city. So I, I, they make the pumpkin spice latte, big defender of that. But one thing Starbucks has done is they seem very liberal without totally going over to all the kind of liberal craziness. For a while, people accused Starbucks of donating to Planned Parenthood. That wasn't really true. They, they agreed to match employee donations to certain nonprofit organizations, one of which was Planned Parenthood. So e even there, it's not like Starbucks was writing big fat checks to Planned Parenthood, you know, as a, as a matter of corporate policy, you know, to say we, we support abortion or something like that. But putting the pride thing aside, there's a, an even better story coming out of Starbucks. A white Starbucks employee was just awarded $25 million over race discrimination. A federal jury just awarded a white Starbucks regional manager who was fired after staff at one of her stores called the cops on two black men who were loitering in 2018. Uh, they just awarded her over $25 million because they found that Starbucks fired her because of her race, because she was white. This was not a, an ambiguous ruling. It was a unanimous ruling. The court awarded her 25 mil in punitive damages and 600 grand in compensatory damages because Starbucks violated Jersey law and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So true, so good. What happened here? 
Well, after that incident where there were some black men who were sort of loitering in the store and they weren't really ordering anything and they were ordered out and they wouldn't leave and then finally someone called the cops on them. After that, there were all sorts of big exploitative racial grievance protests. And so Starbucks really wanted to clamp down. And so this woman uh, observed that Starbucks started punishing white employees uh, and and urged 175,000 employees at 8,000 locations to undergo sensitivity training, would fire white employees over very, very minor issues, if those issues even occurred at all, whereas they would not fire employees of other races. So anyway, now this woman is vindicated. We need a lot more of this. We need a lot more of this. We need a lot more of white people suing for discrimination on the basis of race. We need a lot more of straight people, whatever, you know, like people who have normal <laughs> sexual views and identities and, and behaviors to sue on the basis of sexual discrimination. We need more Christians to sue on the basis of religious discrimination. We need more people of the politically disfavored groups to wield the civil rights law in our favor. Because right now, civil rights law is used as nothing more than a cudgel to attack politically disfavored groups. In this case, men, people with ordinary sexual behaviors, white people, Christians. We need to wield that in the other direction. It's, It's unfortunate that this is what it's come to, but I predicted this. You know how much I hate to say I told you so. I predicted this. I said that with a constant regime of racial identity politics, it was only a matter of time before white people developed a racial consciousness. White people, uniquely among racial groups, do not have a racial consciousness. There's a Pew survey that we often point to, which is different racial groups were asked, does race matter to your sense of identity? And for every racial group, Asian, Hispanic, and black, 50% or higher of of respondents said that race mattered somewhat or very much to their sense of identity. For black people, it was over 70%. White people uniquely said it doesn't matter to their sense of identity. It's 15%. And a consequence of this has been that white people have been systematically discriminated against on the basis of their race in college admissions, in employment practices like we just saw out of Starbucks throughout the culture. It's not only the only group that, as a matter of law, you can discriminate against, though to some degree Asians can be discriminated against too, but it is the only group for whom it is socially acceptable and even encouraged to insult, to malign, to diminish. And this is a bad situation. This isn't good for anybody. And the same thing is true for people who have normal sexual behaviors, and the same thing is true for Christians on the religious front. We need a lot more of this. We need a lot more lawfare. We need a lot more wielding power. There's nothing principled about allowing your uh, political opponents, radical leftists in this case, to wield the the political order to beat you into submission, into into second-class status in your country. Nothing principled, nothing noble about that. We need to engage in political reality in a just and moral way. This woman got her retribution. Now, speaking of retribution, Chris Christie, we're still waiting on the croissants, the croissants to really take off here in the 2024 race. Chris Christie is attacking Donald Trump on the question of retribution, saying that Trump makes everything about him and his need for retribution. 
and did that with a Democratic legislature. Is that what we need in Washington? Or do we need Donald Trump whining, moaning, and making everything about him? He doesn't care about the American people, Bill. He's putting himself first. And if you watched that speech yesterday at Bedminster, where's he talking about America and the American people and their concerns and their needs? This next administration, if Donald Trump's president, will be all about retribution for him personally. Is that the show we want to watch? Is that the rerun of The Apprentice we want? It's not what I want. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's what we want. That is why, despite Donald Trump's personal shortcomings, of, of which there are many, this is why, despite President Trump's occasional lapses in judgment on policy and personnel, maybe more than occasional, this is why people still overwhelmingly support him. And he actually acknowledged this in his early campaign in 2024. It's because we want retribution, not just rehabilitation, not just deterrence for the bad battle libs who are abusing our political order. We want retribution. Retribution is the primary component of a justice system. And the liberals don't understand that anymore, even as they are quite vindictive against their, their opponents. But even the conservatives don't understand this. When, when we talk about, forget politics for a second, when we just talk about punishing criminals, even the conservatives say, well, the only purpose of the system is to rehabilitate people, or the purpose of the system is to deter other criminals. <laughs> no. The primary purpose is retribution, is punishing people for doing something wrong, for violating justice. We also want to rehabilitate people. We also want to deter other criminals. But if, if rehabilitation were the only reason or the primary reason that we have a criminal justice system, then we would throw people into prison who haven't yet commit, committed crimes. Because we could all use a little rehabilitation. I'm not perfect. Far from it. I could use a little rehabilitation, but I don't go to prison because I haven't been convicted of a crime. What about deterrence? Well, yeah, you could deter people. From, from committing all sorts of crimes, if you just started arbitrarily throwing people into prison, that would deter people from, <laughs> from doing very much of anything. You wouldn't spit gum on the street if you saw a capricious and authoritarian government acting in that way. But we don't do that. The primary component is retribution. If you commit a crime, you are to be punished for that. That's what justice demands. The, the people who run our political establishment have really gotten out of control and they've spied on the Republican nominee in 2016 and they lied about him and they undermined his administration and they arrest pro-life fathers of seven for advocating outside of a planned parenthood and they terrorize Catholic groups. They try to infiltrate the traditional Catholic mass. They go after bakers because the bakers don't want to participate in same-sex ceremonies. And yet they're just, they, they're just, an, it's a nasty, unjust ruling class. Oh yeah, also they're transing our kids and establishing drag shows on the White House lawn. Yeah, they need to be punished for that. Someone in this ruling class needs to face consequences for their horrible actions. And right now, it, Trump looks like the guy who is going to do that. Maybe DeSantis would do that too. Maybe, who knows, maybe Chris Christie would do that. Probably not, but maybe he would. But whoever it is, I'm not saying this is the argument why we have to have Trump be the nominee. 
But, but one of the arguments, especially for Trump, and an argument for any Republican nominee is, we want retribution. And we feel that Trump would very likely give it to us. The Democrats and the establishment still don't get this. Jill Biden, sorry, Dr. Dr. Surgeon Jill Biden Esquire, the exalted, her royal majesty, Jill, uh, she was just speaking at a Democrat fundraiser on the Upper East Side. She said she can't understand how so much of the GOP still supports Trump. She said they don't care about the indictment. So that's a little shocking, I think. It's shocking, isn't it? No. We, we still support Trump in no small part because of the indictment. Because you people are so hell-bent on going after him for bogus nonsense. Not, not only bogus nonsense, but bogus nonsense that you yourselves have committed, that your husband, Jill, has committed, that your predecessor, the Clintons, committed. Bill and Hillary, both improperly stored sensitive classified information and never faced any consequences for it. That's why. The ruling class doesn't get this. The people do get this. Trump, after, after his arraignment, he swung by Versailles, Versailles Cafe, Versailles, if you're French. But it's this great Cuban spot. It's one of my favorite restaurants in Florida. First one of my favorite restaurants in America. It's this nice, inexpensive, very high quality Cuban restaurant. And he swings by and he chats, not with the political elites, but with ordinary people down there in Florida. And he says, stay strong. We're going to fight this. That's why a lot of Republicans still support him, because Joe Biden hangs out on the Upper East Side with lots of fancy New Yorker people, and Joe Biden hangs out at Versailles Cafe and restaurant down there in Miami. That's why. Because Trump is not really a, just a Republican. Certainly not a Republican of the type that we've seen for the last three or four decades. Trump is not really a conservative, certainly not of the type that we've seen in the last three or four decades. Trump is a populist. Not saying he's the only one, not or the only one who could be a populist. I'm not saying DeSantis couldn't take on this mantle. I'm not saying that Vivek couldn't take on this mantle. I'm not saying that Nikki Haley, or who, or any of these candidates, I suppose, could position themselves to, to be that person. But Trump is that guy. He has always been that guy in as much as he has had a political profile. And populism a representation of the people against a corrupt elite is on the rise. Wasn't on the rise in the 90s. Wasn't on the rise in the 2000s. It is on the rise now. That's why this guy still resonates. And it's why establishment politicians cannot understand it. Now, when you want to understand all sorts of things that you weren't taught in school, you got to check out Hillsdale College. 
Right now, head on over to hillsdale.edu slash Knowles to check out one of my absolute favorite educational institutions in the world, a top-tier, world-class educational institution, one of the few that can still give you an education. Talking about Hillsdale College. Are you a few years or maybe decades out of school and you're wondering, what the heck did I even learn and what was the point? You might think to yourself that you don't have the time to learn something new. If that's you, know this, you're not alone. It's not too late. Since 1844, Hillsdale has been providing education in faith, freedom, and character. They've taken some of the core classes they teach on campus, made them available for free online for anyone who wants to learn. That is free. There are 39 free courses to choose from, ranging from the U.S. Constitution, the Book of Genesis, to free market economics. Easy to follow, self-paced. You can start whenever you want. You can start right now, in fact, once this podcast is over. It's everything you need all in one place with no long-term commitment. Let Hillsdale College be your guide. Go right now, hillsdale.edu slash Knowles to enroll. There is no cost. Improve yourself. Learn something today at one of the best places to learn in the country. Hillsdale.edu slash Knowles to register. Hillsdale.edu slash Knowles. You might have been one of the tens of millions of people who watch Netflix's hit show, Making a Murderer. If so, then you are going to love Daily Wire Plus's new exclusive 10-part docuseries with Candace, Convicting a Murderer, coming this summer. Whether it's exposing Black Lives Matter or certain fallacies in the healthcare industry regarding COVID, Candace has never been afraid to challenge the narrative. She will find the truth wherever it leads. When Candace found out that key facts may have been omitted in Netflix's series, she set out to uncover the real story behind the notorious Stephen Avery case. The end result is convicting a murderer. You will not want to miss it. Right now, there's never been a better time to become a DW Plus member. Sign up for convicting a murderer. You will receive an early bird discount of 25% off your Daily Wire Plus membership. You will also get all of the other premium content from Daily Wire Plus, including The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, What is a Woman?, and the largest collection of content from Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member and see the truth when it finally comes out. So how's Trump going to defend himself on these charges? These are very serious charges. They really could send him to prison for the rest of his life. One of the defenses, which was outlined by Michael Bekesha in the Wall Street Journal, is the Clinton Sox defense. Not the Hillary Clinton email server defense. She did it too, and she didn't get in trouble, so I should get away with it. The Bill Clinton sock drawer defense. And the reason this this journal column is, is really worthwhile here is that while a lot of people have weighed in on this unprecedented legal question of what to do when a former president and current leader of the opposition is arrested on federal charges. That's never happened before. What do we do? So a lot of people are weighing in hypothetically. This guy, Michael Bekesha, is saying, look, I actually know something about this because I'm the guy who lost the Clinton Sox case that was the nearest precedent we have for this Trump issue. He says that a president chooses what records to return or keep, and the National Archives can't do anything about it. A lot of people haven't even heard about this, but when when Bill Clinton left office, he kept a lot of audio tapes in his sock drawer. And these audio tapes included lots of sensitive, classified information, and he insisted that this was his right to keep. And so this went to court, and the court's opinion in the Clinton-Sox case, states that the sole authority 
to classify records pursuant to the Presidential Records Act rests solely with the president. The National Archives has no authority regarding classification, and it has no right to seize presidential records. And that was the court's opinion when this involved Bill Clinton. What about the Espionage Act, which is now being used, a law from 1917 that's being used to go after Trump? The Espionage Act, writes Bakesha, was not intended to apply to presidents, of course. If it had been, here's the proof that it hadn't been intended to apply to presidents. If it had been, then every single president who took documents with him after the, before the passage of the Presidential Records Act in 1978 could have been prosecuted for espionage. So you have this period of 50, 60 years where every president who took documents out of the White House, which is all of them, could have been prosecuted for espionage. Obviously, none of them were. This is probably the strongest defense that we're seeing right now for Trump. It's why the liberals who are attacking him aren't really mentioning the Clinton sock example, which the Trump defense is bringing up. So it's probably the strongest one. Now, this is not, this is not a slam dunk for Trump because the prosecutor has one more trick up his sleeve. Right now, the case is being tried in Florida where a Trump-appointed judge who is obviously sympathetic to Trump on this case is the one presiding over it. Because Trump took documents to his club in Bedminster, New Jersey, and because that particular aspect of the investigation has not been brought up in the Miami court, the prosecutor, if he thinks that the, the case in Florida is going south, could also bring charges in New Jersey. And in New Jersey, Trump is totally screwed because it's going to be liberal judges and in a very liberal state going after him. So that's one more trick. It's a reminder that the liberal establishment always has another act. Okay, we're going to get Trump on being a Russian spy in 2016. Oh, that didn't pan out. I guess we don't have him, right? No, they just make up some new nonsense. They go after him with the Mueller investigation. They go after him. Okay, we couldn't get him on colluding with the Russians. We'll, get, we'll go after him on colluding with the Ukrainians. We're going to impeach him for a Ukraine call. Oh, okay, we don't have that. Well, we're going to go after him for protesting us, okay? We're going to go after him for leading, quote unquote, insurrection. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, we're going to go after him for having his own documents in his club which the DOJ and the National Archives knew about. Oh, that's not going to work? Okay, well, we're going to go after him in a different state on the same charges. There's always going to be something else. And I know there are a lot of people now saying Trump opened himself up to this prosecution. Yeah, maybe he did. Maybe he did. I'm not defending his actions. I'm not saying it was 10D chess. Right. Trump is a clumsy sort of politician in that he's not a career politician. So he, he walks into traps that a number of very highly calculated career politicians would not. Yeah, that's true. That's why people like him. That's why the establishment fears him. It's not even because he's the most effective guy ever. He was quite effective. He got Roe v. Wade overruled, right? He's pretty effective. But he also made a bunch of blunders and shot himself in the foot a bunch of times in his administration. The reason that the establishment fears Trump is not because he's the most highly effective conservative ever there was. It's because he is a wrench in the machine. He just doesn't fit. He doesn't know how it works. He doesn't, doesn't work at all that well. He hangs out with Kim Jong-un and he upends American foreign policy in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe, and he upends American trade policy vis-a-vis China and Mexico and other countries. And he just, he just doesn't follow the script, darn it. 
he was supposed to, he was supposed to go to the usual schools and then he was supposed to work for some politician and then he was supposed to make buddy-buddy with the administrative state and then he was supposed to be tied in with all of the same swampy institutions that everyone else is and he doesn't. And so they're going to go after him for it. And there will be another act. I can almost promise you that. Some, something of a dystopian future we're looking at. Now, I'll tease this story because we don't have time to get to it today. A lot of people are worried that we're going to turn into cyborg robots. Elon Musk, who, who may or may not be a cyborg himself, says we already are. And I think he's got a good point. So we'll get to that. Because we'll have to get to that tomorrow because right now, I want to talk about another phenomenon, totally unrelated to the things we've been talking about. It's the phenomenon of trad wives. Yes, women living out their lives, not as girl boss, career women, working nine to five, what a wait, not women who are wives, homemakers, mothers, making the liberal establishment furious. We have one of the most famous trad wives, Esty Williams, on the show in the member block. Coming up right now, you don't want to miss it. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.